Have you ever felt all alone in the world? Some of you may say, no, not really. Not, I haven't really felt that way. Um, some of you may have forgotten those feelings. Maybe um, you had a time where you were in school and you said, I just don't have any friends. Nobody cares about me. Or I have no place to go. Maybe you felt that way. Maybe may forgotten that you felt that way. Maybe you feel like that now. Um, maybe you feel that way even though you have a lot of people around you. I mean, that, that's the reality. Sometimes people feel that way even though they have a lot of people that love them and that care about them. And they are somehow kind of blinded to that reality. Maybe you felt that way because you really have never had anyone that you could count on. I mean, there are people in this world that think, like, I'm displaced. I, I don't have anyone I can count on. There are people that uh, have left their country and gone to a place where they knew no one. And they were all by themselves. I've listened to, uh, I regularly listen to the podcast called How I Built This. And uh, in that podcast, there'll be people sharing like how they started a movement or built a company or, or just did a number of things that kind of stood out. And uh, this guy interviews them. And sometimes there will be someone like that where you think that they grew up without any concept of having any sense of stability. But there are some of us here that maybe said, like, would say, I've never felt that alienated. You never felt that feeling of hopelessness. And maybe you're kind of arrogant about the fact that you feel good about the place that you're in because you think it's somehow dependent upon the greatness of you. Like you, you look and, and think, I look over my life and I... I, I, I've never been alienated because I'm so wonderful, you know? Like, I, I always had a family because I was so wonderful. And I always had, you know, friends because I'm just so, you know, and you have this long list of reasons why. Maybe you would identify more with the first century Jew than the first century Gentile. But how do people deal with that? How do people deal with alienation? With regard to God or man? Well, with regard to God, the way that mankind has sought to deal with that, that alienation is by creating their own religion. Creating their own sense of stability. Creating their own access to God or their own ways to God. That's how humanity does it. And I, I do remember, and I've mentioned a couple of times to you, the reading a prayer from someone, you know, like in, in uh, the ancient world, and they are, and, and really from the Mesopotamia, that, that era, and they, in their prayer, they're, they're like, I know there's a God. I know you exist out there. And I know that I need you. And I need you to help me. But I really don't know how to gain access to you, and I don't really know if you're hearing me. That's, that's what humanity is kind of left with. If we think there, there, there and, and certainly the scripture says eternity, Mike mentioned this earlier, is placed within the heart of men. 
And, and, and they're thinking, there's this sense of there must be a God out there, but I don't know how to reach Him. I, I don't know how to, to get close to Him. Or maybe that sense of alienation the Gentiles faced where they thought, well, maybe the Jews are right. And some of them wanted to get close to their God. They did not know what He had said or how He had spoken. And, and, and so they were kind of left in this state of hopelessness. Sometimes our lack of experience with these things make it a little bit hard for us to make the jump into the first century. But the reality is, all around us, alienation is everywhere. People are feeling alienated everywhere, in every sphere. Some of you may have even grown up in a Christian tradition where God never seems close to you. You feel like you're walking in the darkness with God because God's so alien or separated from you, you could never get close to Him. There are whole traditions based upon that. And so your relationship with God is one of fear, not access. But this passage kind of brings us into a place where we say, hold on just a second. And the whole book of Ephesians is about God unveiling this mystery of salvation and saying to people everywhere, That it is God who gives new life. It is God who brings about a new humanity. It is God who set up these new standards. It is God who builds these new relationships. God has made everything right. He has rescued us through His Son. He has transformed us by His grace. He in His wisdom has exceeded all of our expectations. This story is a story about God doing this amazing work and He alone gets the glory. Today we're focusing on this new humanity that God has brought out of the ashes of Israel's failure. And in this new society that He is developing is something that so transcends our, our concept of what life should be like and it opens our eyes to see things that are just absolutely shocking so I hope you will kind of work through that with me and see that and see and understand and grasp the wonders of God's plan for the world because he unveils that for us today and so I hope you see that because again we know that sense of alienation and then to be brought near to God and near to one another is shocking so we're going to look at Ephesians chapter 2 verses 11 and 12 And you will look at like the the past of the Gentiles. That is, anyone that's not a Jew. Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. When he says that they're saying that you're not of the circumcision, again, circumcision, if you understand the the, the, uh, teaching on that and, and grasp that, you realize it was the covenant sign. 
given to the people of God. And it implied that you were a part. It was a sign that said you're a part of the family. You're a part of the nation. You're a member of God's household. And with that comes all of these promises that there's protection and provision and privilege. That, that's kind of the, the picture here. The Gentiles are outside of that. The Jews have been brought near to God. Now, we know that the Jews began to think that the sign of the covenant was actually the salvation. Not understanding that, 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 that just having the sign was not the point. The sign is a sign. It doesn't, it's not the reality. And so the Jews had kind of mixed that up at some level. But he's saying, listen, they're saying you're not a part of the people of God. That's what these Jewish people who are not trusted in Jesus, they're saying. That's what they've said about you. And, and the reality is, at one time, all these things were not a part of your story. And so he lists some of those things out. He says, you're separated from Christ. It's like saying, and we talked about this a little bit last week, but you knew nothing of the Messiah. You knew nothing of one to come, a king that would come and usher in his kingdom and rule the world by his love and righteousness. You didn't know about that. You were living without a knowledge of that. You knew nothing of a world where there would be no more suffering or pain. You knew nothing of a world promise, a, a, a promise of joy forevermore. You didn't know about that. He says, you were alienated from the commonwealth of Israel. It's, it's, and, and strangers to the covenant of promise. It's saying, you were not a member of this nation that had like very clear understanding from God about everything with regard to life. And, and, and they, God had explained so much to them. And they had the protection of God. You knew nothing of that. You knew nothing of God like just destroying Egypt before your eyes. You didn't know that story. You didn't know the, the, the thing of where God leads His people into a land of promise and then He tells them to walk around a number of times and He destroys a city. You didn't know that. You knew nothing of knowing God's presence with you as a people and his protection and his provision you know nothing of the 40 years in the wilderness where he provided for you every day you don't know anything about that you don't know what it's you or at that time you didn't understand that you didn't understand this promise that everything was built upon that God would make a people and give them a place and rule them with his blessing. You didn't know that. You were in a state of no hope. You were without God. You were left to yourself to make up your own version of God. You had to create a God. You had to craft him in your image. You had to design Him and design worship to Him in your own way. You were walking in the darkness, but your heart was still longing to worship, and so you created a God that didn't exist. You bowed down to Him. Some of you sacrificed your children for this God. 
That's where you were. But then he says, but now there's a bridge. There's a bridge that has been made. A bridge that would never be torn down. A bridge that is, it was made so that you could have oneness with God and with all of those who would put their trust in Him. A bridge that would allow enemies to be friends. A bridge that reconciles our vertical relationship with God and horizontal relationship with one another. A bridge has been built. You were over here without hope. Standing on the other side, you were on the island of despair and brokenness and lostness and darkness and and just horrendous things are there. And God built a bridge. And the bridge took you into blessing. And so your past is in this state of total darkness and your present is now in the glorious light and the road there, the the way there, it's this narrow way. it's, It's the way of following the Messiah, of trusting in Him. But now there is again, just for you to remember, Gentile people, There's a bridge. It has opened the door to the nations. But now in Christ Jesus, verse 13, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. You who were separated. You who were in an alien land. You who were dead to spiritual things. You who were outside of any hope and any promise and any security. You who were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. What's he saying? What's he saying here? He is saying that Christ's sacrifice has opened the door to God. Not your sacrifice, Gentiles. Not your man-made religion where you do all these things to reach God. That's not the thing. That's not the gospel. Gentiles, you created a man-made religion that allowed you to climb to a God that you did not know and create all these standards for this God you didn't know and offer up food and build little temples and all that stuff. And this is the story. God built the bridge. That's the gospel. You didn't build it. God built it. And God built it through the sacrifice of His Son. Christ's blood, His sacrifice has opened the door to God. Jesus is the final sacrifice. When He was on the cross and He said, It is finished. The veil of the temple was torn in two. What did that mean? It meant access. Your sacrifice didn't open the door to God. His sacrifice opened the door. Access was granted to all who entered in to the blessings of God through trusting in God's Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ. As we learned in Ephesians 2.8, 
It is by grace that we have been saved through faith, and it is not of ourselves. It is a gift from God. So in your past, you are in a state of alienation. You are in a state of blindness. You are in a state of despair. You are in a state of darkness. You are in this horrendous state. And now, a door has opened up. A bridge has been built. And you walk into the di- dark, from darkness into light through that bridge, which is Christ. Verse 14, 15, and 16. For He Himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in His flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in the ordinances that He might create in Himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. If you were to study your Bible, and you started with the promise that God gave to Abraham and to his offspring, of a, he said into Abraham, he said, I will make a nation of you, and I will give you this land, and you will experience my blessing. It was a promise given to him. By way of a, in a temporary way, God set up a covenant. We call it sometimes the Mosaic Covenant. And that covenant had all of these standards and all of these sacrifices in this whole system that was a temporary thing until Christ came. What it did for Israel was it set them apart as a holy nation, as a unique nation, and it gave them not only God's holy standards, but how God was going to deal with the problems of having holy standards. How does God deal with the problem of these holy standards? He created a whole sacrificial system and they would go through this process to deal with the fact that God was holy and that they were sinful and that God would have to provide a way for them to be made right with Him. That was temporary until Christ came. And when Christ came, He fulfilled all of that. That, That's kind of, I think, what He's saying. And what that did was, it allowed you to truly experience the forgiveness of sins, to truly have access to God in, in, in the, the fullness of that, and to it reconciled those who were once like, the, the people of God were kind of known as just this, the Israel. Uh, and, and so they're separated over there as this distinct people. It kind of kept them away from the world, but at the same time, really what was supposed to happen is God called upon them to, to, as this distinct and holy people, to be a light to the nations, but instead, they were not that. But then, I mean, the way I think the New Testament presents it, the true Israel, Jesus, shows up, and He is what Israel failed to be, and in His fullness, He accomplished everything that was needed in the law. All that those types and shadows pointed to, you find their, their yes and amen in Christ is the way The scripture presents it. And then, now no longer are those who are near to the presence of God, the Jews, and those who are far away, the Gentiles. Now, neither one of them are kind of out there. The veil of the temple is the clearest way for me to think about it, is open. 
and all come in, Jew and Gentile. And they come in holding hands. Those who are alienated have been brought near. And when they're brought near to God, they are brought near to one another. You know, some people in the church are constantly almost, I don't know, that they have this tendency to almost act like, well, we are in this place and y'all are in this place, almost as if like somehow some people just aren't as good as others, kind of. And you want to say, hold on a second, have you studied the Bible? Do you understand the cross? The cross says... The most religious and the most irreligious person is damned standing on their own. And Christ has offered a way. He has bridged the gap between sinful humanity and God. And he has brought together sinful humanity with one another. And he's created this new society, this new humanity. Verse 17 and 18, and he, speaking of Jesus, came and preached peace to you who are far off and peace to those who were near. What's he saying? He's preached peace to the Gentile and peace to the Jew. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So Jesus, of course, he, he, certainly we see in the Gospels that Gentiles are coming in. But we also see at the end, when Jesus is resurrected, he, he speaks to the disciples and he says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. What's he saying? I'm going to send my messengers to preach. Not just to the Jewish people, but to the Gentile people. And there will be a gathering of both Jew and Gentile together. And we'll call that the church. Christ's body. The one new humanity. This new society of people. Composed of Jew and Gentile. All all gathering around the fact that they are walking together to Christ. And experiencing access to God. So here was your past, separated, alienated. God built a bridge, which is Christ. So what is it, how does that change the present? How, how does it change the present? Like when you're sitting here this morning, you're thinking about it, you're thinking about the body of Christ, you're thinking about yourself individually. How does that change the present? Because in the first century world, a lot of the Gentiles might think we are second class Christians, you know. Some of you in here might say, well, there's different classes of Christians. And if God were to show up today, he would say, let me put you in this class and you in this class and you in this class. No, he's saying, what do we do? What, what are we going to do with the present? Or speaking of these, really, you could say the Gentiles, you would not initially think, oh man, how wonderful it is to see them coming in. Some of the Jewish Christians would have been like, good night, are you serious? Those people? So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints 
and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Remember what we said when we looked at Ephesians 1, 3 through 14? The Father was the architect, the Son accomplished, the Spirit applied. You see this here, this, this idea of understanding how God is working out His plan. What He says is, listen, those who, just those of you who were alienated and separated, Those of you who were outside of relationship with God. Those of you who knew nothing of Him. Those of you who felt like, I don't have a home. You're a part of a nation now. It's called the church. And and this group of people, they're not just a part of this kingdom. This nation, they're, they're not just a part of that, that kingdom, but they are also members of the household. He's saying, you're now in the family. It's like thinking about a kingdom and you say, you know what? I, I just love being a servant in the kingdom. That's what I always dreamed of. If I could just, you think about the prodigal son, if I can just come home and my father would say, I'll give you a servant's wage and you can be a part of the household in that sense. Come on, boy. Come on. Come in here. And you say, that's good enough. Just make me somebody that gets to live there under the security and provision. And the let, let me be a part of that. And then he says, listen, You're not just someone in the kingdom. You're not just a subject in the kingdom. You've been brought in the house. You've been brought in the house. You're in the family. There is a room with your name on it. If you wake up in the middle of the night fearful, if anxiety comes all crawling all over you, when you cry out, he's running down the door, knocking down the door saying, what's wrong? And grabbing you up and comforting you. You're in the house. You're not just sitting out there in the world kind of saying, well, I'm in the kingdom, but right now there's a famine in the land and I I don't know if I'm going to make it and I'm a little bit hungry and maybe the king doesn't know about it. Can we send him a letter? He's saying, no, you're eating from my table. You're in the house. You're a part of the family. You're sitting at the table. You have an inheritance that will never fade away. You don't just call him king, you call him father. You've been brought into the family, you're adopted. That's what it says, with all the legal rights. That's what we saw in Ephesians 1. You've been adopted in. He chose you to be a part of his family. You were not a part, 
He chose you to be a part. He brought you in and He took you from the prison of darkness and pain and despair. And He said, come, you are my son. And He clothed you. And He put a ring on your finger. You're in the household. You might say, hmm, but what about... What, what about, just for a moment, tell me about this access thing. Can I really enter in? Am I really going to be in the Holy of Holies? Am I really going to be in His presence? And He says, let me tell you about that just for a moment. Christ Jesus is the cornerstone of this new temple This temple is built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets. And you are joined together. That means you are the temple church. The presence of God resides with you. In the past, you were alienated. In the past was darkness. In the past was shame. In the past was no acceptance. In the past you were trying to figure out how to worship a God you did not know. And then in His grace a bridge was built. And you, Jew and Gentile, you come running in together. And you don't just get brought into the kingdom as a subject but also as a member of the household. And you're eating at the table. And just in case you don't really understand this, God is building His presence through His people. He is dwelling with them. He is working out these marvelous things in their lives. They are dwelling with Him now, presently, with God. What does it say to a Gentile? It says something like, once I was lost and now I am found. Once I was blind, but now I see. Once I was deaf, but now I can hear. Once I was in darkness, but now in the marvelous light. Once I had no family, but now I'm a part of the family of God. Once I was outside of His presence, but now I'm in His presence. Created a new, God's saying, I created a new humanity, a new people from every tribe, tongue, and nation. How how do those people respond? In the book of Revelation, and they sang a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain, and by your blood you have ransomed people for God. That means you have satisfied the wrath of God. You purchased them out of darkness and brought them in. You did that. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God. And they shall reign on the earth. Then I looked and I heard around the throne the living creatures and the elders, the voice of many angels, numbering myriads of myriads and thousands and of thousands, saying with a loud voice, 
Worthy, uh, sorry, worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying, to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped. And the people here say what? Amen. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for these glorious truths, too much for us to even take in. We thank you for access. We thank you for this new family. We thank you for the glorious things that you are accomplishing even when we can't see it all, even when it looks so bleak at times, even when we feel like aliens and strangers, may we trust that we have been brought near by the blood of Christ and the gates of hell will not overtake it. In Christ's name, amen.